listeners. Welcome back to Who Knew We Didn't. My name is Marta and my partner in podcast here is... Megan. We are a podcast that talks about psychology and how psychology affects your daily life. And often we do study studies like today's episode is going to be run by Megan. Uh, today's episode is about the bystander effect. Is that right? That's right. Um, so I, I had a different idea of what I was going to do for today's recording, but um, kind of got started on it and then realized I had no idea where I wanted to go with it. So not abandoning completely, but we will come back and, and you'll be wowed. Um, but instead, I decided to do a study study on the bystander effect. Uh, also includes diffusion of responsibility and a little bit on the volunteer dilemma. So kind of a, a study, 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 study. I love it. Yeah. So yeah. what is the bystander effect? Okay. So the bystander effect occurs when the presence of others discourages an individual from intervening in a situation. So um, it became really popular, like uh, known and the inspiration for studying this was the... Yep. Kitty Genovese did, or whatever. Genovese. Yeah. yeah. Did you read it on my No, paper? I didn't. Oh, I okay. just like, this is because psychology... It's very well known. I think it's like psychology 101. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So on March 13th, 1964, Kitty Genovese was stabbed to death outside her apartment while bystanders who observed the crime didn't step in uh, to assist her or to call the police. Um, the attack took place around three in the clock in the morning and uh, Kitty had just like parked her car. She started walking towards her apartment building and um, a man attacked her. The attack in total lasted 30 minutes and she was stabbed 14 times by Winston Molesley. Uh, the story quickly went viral, um, or like as viral as it gets in 1964, which means there was a New York mm -hmm. Times article about it, basically. Um, yeah, and, and the article like described what occurred. It was super sensationalized. So for the record, like if you have read the the New York Times article, um, it, it's not it, it's sensationalized for sure. And also, there's a lot of uh, I think a lot of true crime podcasts have covered it. Since, oh yes. Like oh yeah. Yeah yeah. I've listened to like at least two or three. Yeah. <laughs> um, and documentaries like it's it's a well known story. Um, but basically, in case any listeners don't know, um, uh, the the article described that at the she was actually attacked twice by this guy like he attacked her somebody yelled from the window of the apartment building he left was scared off but then came back and and attacked her again so she was uh, attacked at two different times that that early morning um and uh, the sounds of neighbors shouting down at him or the sight of people's bedroom lights being turned on it startled him to the point that he got scared off but then he returned and stabbed her again um during this time no one called the police um one neighbor did call the police after kitty was already dead um but uh, the investigation of the murder does really show that like the people who heard something and actually had an idea of what was going on um, they they thought it was like a couple fighting on the street or something like that um, but the New York Times article was later acknowledged as faulty so like the reaction or the like uh, terrible uh, reputation that New Yorkers received after um, hearing mm. this like they're callous and uncaring and stuff like that. Super, super over the top. It's not the, the article isn't quite accurate. But anyway, um, in addition to inspiring the New York Times article, uh, her murder inspired two psychologists, Bib Latane and John Darley, uh, to launch a series of experiments investigating the bystander effect and, and bystander intervention in emergency situations. So what they did, they used 
New York University students uh, in a few different simulated emergencies to try and identify factors that seem to increase the likelihood of the bystander intervening. So the experiments range from uh, like Basically, it was like cries of distress in an adjoining room. So they would began by telling participants that they would be participating in a discussion about their personal problems in their college lives. And each participant was told that they'd be talking with a various number of other participants in the discussion group. But they'd each be in separate rooms. So the conversations were going to be held over a microphone and speakers. So you wouldn't be able to like physically see each other, but you'd be talking to other participants. Mm-hmm. Um, they'd be given two minutes to speak during their turn. And the microphones of other participants would be turned off during that time. Um, but what none of them actually knew was that all the other voices that they were going to hear were all pre-recorded, And the number of other voices the participant would be talking to, I use air quotes there, depended on the treatment condition that they were in. So they had a few different treatment conditions. Uh, one was solo. Uh, one was one-on-one conversations. And uh, finally, a group of six participants, which really is one real participant and five pre-recorded voices. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the pre-recorded voices was that of an epileptic student who has a seizure. Um, the voice would first confess to the group that he's prone to seizures and that it can be life-threatening during their first turn in the conversation. And then in the second turn, the seizure would start. Um, so remember, the real participant can only hear the event occurring. They can't actually see anything happening. They just hear what they're led to believe is one of the other people people in the group having a seizure or do they know like do they think that they're in close proximity to this other person yeah 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 that they're all in adjoining rooms yeah um so the actual response that the experimenters measured is the time that it takes for the real participant to stand up leave the room and look for someone to help um to take this back to the study study marta did a little while ago the independent variable here is the number of participants within the discussion group Mm. and the dependent variable is the time that it takes for the participant to seek help What they found was that in the group testing condition, only 31% of the participants tried to seek help for someone where they were led to believe that that someone else was suffering. Um, Many were obviously anxious, but the reaction time wasn't there. So when they were doing the, like, I'm in a group of six people talking, only 31% of the time did they actually intervene. Hmm. Um, 62% of the participants took action when they thought it was... uh, like there was one other person present. So when it was a smaller group um, and they thought like it was a, like there's just the three of us sort of thing, they were more likely to intervene. But the most significant finding of the experiment lies in the result of the one-on-one conversations because in that testing condition, 85% of the subjects sought help. So when they thought like, they were the only one, only other one aware of the situation, very likely to intervene. Huh. Yeah. So basically, when individuals feel like they're the only one aware of the emergency, there's a high probability that they're asked for help. Um, but if it's a bigger group, it's more likely that fewer people will react. I had an experience with something similar uh, when I was at the mall, like at Square One or whatever, and there was this lady who just seemed like she was having a break like Mm -hmm. a psychotic break like I don't know what was happening whatever but she went on the escalator she was trying to go down but it was an up escalator Mm -hmm. and so she stepped on it and like she stepped on it really quickly and it like threw her off and she like fell on her ass oh my god yeah and um she already looked like disheveled and like all over the place and whatever and then after that she was just like on the floor like moaning and whatever and there was a bunch of people just standing around doing nothing yeah but somebody did go in and help her like somebody did go in and react and I was like 
it was in the early days of my psychology degree too so I was like oh nobody's gonna go like I should go and then somebody did actually go so like I guess we broke the bystander effect but it was just interesting to see it that like all of us froze and all of us were like oh shit like what's wrong with her I'm excited that you said that because I think that it like really pairs in well with this like everything I've I'm about to say mm-hmm. oh, um, yeah for like why somebody might be the person to step in or um, kind of what's going through everybody's minds in that moment yep. um, so back to Latane and Darley they ide- they identified two reasons for this bystander effect uh, the first is diffusion of responsibility and the second is pluralistic ignorance so what do those things mean Diffusion of responsibility occurs when people think that another person will intervene and therefore they feel less responsible. Um, So in your example, there were a a bunch of people there. Everybody there is thinking somebody else is going to intervene. It's not my responsibility to intervene sort of thing. Unless you're raised by Polish parents, in which case you feel guilty 100% of the time. Yeah. yeah. But (laughs) (laughs) Um, so and and diffusion of responsibility tends to increase the larger the group around you is. Okay. Um, So there's many reasons for why you can like explain that diffusion of responsibility. One could be anonymity. So, for example, in pro-social situations, people are less likely to intervene if they don't personally know the victim and instead they'll believe that someone who has a relationship with the victim like maybe this woman in the mall isn't here alone like somebody who she's with should be the one intervening what's pro-social mean um like uh it's the opposite of antisocial. okay (laughs) and i say that because in antisocial situations though it's more likely that you don't feel responsible to intervene because you're more anonymous like you become de-individualized and feel less personal responsibility for consequences so um, yeah, pro-social is sort of like I shouldn't be intervening because somebody else who like mm. is here is the one who should intervene. Um, but in antisocial situations, it's like um, I'm not personally responsible for the consequences, so I shouldn't intervene. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, some individuals might also be self-conscious to help. Um, yeah. Like if they're uh, like especially if there are other people helping, like they don't want to give off negative images to other bystanders so they don't respond to the emergency. Like, for example, maybe it's not as big an emergency as I think it is, and I'll look really foolish to everybody else if I overreact here. That's what I was feeling more so in the escalator thing. Like, I felt, oh, why should, like, I I don't want to make a fool of myself by running up to her. Yeah. And, like, nobody else is going. So if no one else is going, like, this is me reading the social situation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Like you start worrying about the perception of all the other people and and you no longer are solely focused on the fact that this other person needs help. Yeah. Yeah. And and also you might just assume like someone else is more responsible for taking that action or that maybe somebody else already has taken that action. Like in your example, we're all watching here. For all I know, someone's already run to grab a security guard or something like that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So there's no need for you to do anything. And also expertise you might think that um of all the other observers you're not the most qualified person to help like if it's a medical emergency and you're not a doctor maybe you think there could be another person here who is a doctor or who has first aid training or something like that and that's a better person to intervene than someone who has zero medical qualifications Mm -hmm. maybe i'd only be making things worse or something like that um also interesting gender has been shown to play a role in how people make decisions about helping others because they feel less inclined to help those who think they may need it less 
So what I mean by that is, generally speaking, though obviously not in the case of Kitty Genovese, people have helped women and the diffusion of responsibility is more prevalent when it's a male who needs help because of the stereotype that men don't need help and that women can't help themselves. Okay. Yeah. So, but having said that, there is new research that's shown that um, with changing viewpoints on gender roles, diffusion of responsibility is less prevalent when it's women who needs assistance um, as a result of the women's liberation movement. Mm-hmm. Now, personally, I'm not really sure what that means or what to make of that. Like, I don't know if it's a good thing as in the rate of helping others is balancing out and gender is no longer a factor or if it's a bad thing, like because of women's liberation, people think men need more help than women. Like, for example, vilifying women who speak up about sexual assault and protecting men who are um, accused. Is it that men need more help than women or just women need less help? Well, yeah, that's kind of what I mean is like, is is it dividing? What does that actually mean? What's mm-hmm. what's actually changing? Are men being assisted more because yeah. like we think men need more help now? Or is it just evening out because they don't we don't think that women need more help than men? Hmm. I don't know. Usually I'm like pretty one way or another. Like usually my internal barometer tells me, but I I don't know how I feel. Me neither. Um, Anyway, uh, so that's diffusion of responsibility. The other thing I mentioned was pluralistic ignorance. And this occurs when one witnesses the inaction of other people. And that leads them to believe that the emergency is not that serious. So they don't need to do anything either. Basically, if no one else is reacting my personal help is not needed here. Um, It's an approach avoidance conflict in which... What could I do that nobody else... Yeah, exactly. Or like, clearly the group has decided this isn't an emergency, so I'm not going to intervene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, so it's it's an approach avoidance conflict in which someone is torn between a desire to act and not wanting to appear foolish for jumping to conclusions. So, so yeah, that's... that's, uh, diffusion of responsibility and pluralistic ignorance. Um, I want to mention a couple of other instances of the bystander effect and the diffusion of responsibility that that listeners may or may not have heard. Um, so another example uh, of the bystander effect happened in October of 2011 in uh, China. A two-year-old girl walked off the road and she was hit by a small van. But, um, and while she was injured on the road, a total of 18 people walked past her stop. and some even walked around the blood. Um, a larger truck came by and also ran over her. And finally, a man picked her up and called emergency services. And she died eight later, eight days later in the hospital. Ugh, that's yeah. sometimes, you know, in Toronto, sometimes when you see like a homeless person laying yes. in the middle of the sidewalk and you're like, you're not over a sewer grate. So like, it's not, you're not there because it's warm or whatever. Like, why are you? Yeah. Um, I was, when I was researching this, Taylor was sitting next to me and I kept kind of talking and being like, hey, isn't this cool? Like, listen to this. And I was just sort of explaining it to him. And I said, like, I actually feel really bad. I'm thinking back on my life and thinking of instances where either I did or I did not intervene in something. Um, And there was one day in Toronto a few years ago um, where it was really cold in the winter and there was a extreme cold alert all over Mm -hmm. the news. And they had said something on the news, like, if you see 
a homeless person on the street, um, you should you should call emergency services or you should like alert somebody or something like that. And I was on my way to work on King Street, Mm -hmm. which is if you've ever been on King Street at eight eight o'clock in the morning, you know that like you can hardly fucking walk because there's so so many people there. And I saw a homeless guy sleeping on a steam grate and he wasn't cold, clearly, because he was on like it was hot over that steam grate. There was a ton of steam, but he was going to get really damp. And it was Mm -hmm. like that's a bad situation waiting to happen even though he's probably warm right now. right now yeah and i walked away and i was like i thought for like several blocks like almost the rest of my walk about like should, should I, I do something should i be intervening like is that is that something i should do and i didn't because i was around five thousand other people and none of them did either yeah yeah and you never know if somebody else did or not yeah, exactly. Um, and I thought of another case. Taylor and I were walking uh, also with a homeless man. It wasn't in the winter, but it was on like a kind of a day like this, like a somewhat chilly gray day. Like it's mm. around 10 degrees, slightly raining. Um, anyway, we were walking on a back street off Young and we saw this guy like passed out on a bench. And Taylor was like, oh, dude, that guy is still passed out there I saw him he had come to meet me he's like I saw him when I was walking through here to come meet you and like he's still passed out and we like were walking by him and we saw that there was a can of like an aerosol can we were like oh fuck like he's huffing Mm -hmm. or he was huffing and he's fucked yeah and not moving and like what do we do and we saw a couple of other people on the street who were very clearly avoiding walking near him so that like i'm not close enough to see what's going on and therefore it's not my problem basically okay um and we ended up deciding we had to call and we called for an ambulance and they came and everything was fine but it was sort of like in a case where nobody else was around we knew we had to do something but in a case where there were five thousand other people even though i thought about it for a long time I didn't do anything. What makes me curious here is that you were with Taylor, so you had a sounding board of somebody else who also thought we should do something. Didn't even think of that. Versus like you were alone. Um, Because I feel like I have more courage to stand up if I have somebody who is with me and will do it with me. Well, and also that Taylor had seen him earlier. It was like, this is for sure an emergency. Like if you already had this inkling. Yeah. Yeah. Um, We, um, just to quickly with one of ours, we were on the or with one of my instances of bystander, maybe not bystander, I don't know. But we were on the way home uh, from my aunt's place. It was like every Sunday we used to go to my aunt's place for dinner, whatever. We were listening to Delilah on the radio as always on Sunday night. Um, And it was like my whole family. So me, my dad, my sister and I. Uh, And there was this car driving really fucking fast using the shoulder to pass people on the highway. Oh my God. He got too close to the guardrail, clipped it, bounced across the highway. Oh my God. And then bounced back and hit the guardrail. That's terrifying. It was fucking That's wild. That's so scary. Yeah. It was wild. And like, I was like, um, should we, like, he's not okay. I was like, dad, pull over, pull over, pull over. Like, I was freaking out. Um, and I was pretty young then. Like, maybe, I don't know, somewhere around 10. I'd wow. Say. And my dad's like, no, somebody else has got it. Like, he's he'll be okay. Somebody else has got it. Somebody else has called. And I was like, no, we need to. Like, it needs to be us. Like, we need to stop and do it. And like, there were so many. It was a busy night on the highway. Like, so I don't know, just also that's an instance of bystander effect. Absolutely. Kind of, right. And especially because we were in our own little capsule of Oh car. yeah. Like we can't tell. I was like, how do you know You're somebody anonymous. else called? Yeah. Yeah. I was like, how do you know somebody else called? How do you know that there's whatever? And the guy was like hunched over his steering wheel, like 
when we drove past. And so scary. Yeah. Like so scary. My dad's not a bad person. I think he just didn't want to get his kids involved and like potentially like I think he was trying to insulate us and like this guy's probably dead. Well, yeah, if I have a ten year old and uh what your sister 15. would have been like fifteen. Yeah. So if I have two kids of that age and I pull over to the scene of a horrific accident, like what fucking scarring am I got like I yeah. I understand the logic that yeah. all of the reasoning that you do to say I shouldn't pull over and do something it yeah. was wild though that is wild yeah um sorry huge I, tangent I, on both no no parts. it's not a tangent at all it's totally it's like literally exactly what we're talking about um <laughs> I feel like I could come up with so many more examples now that you've said that I can think of an example my dad told me about um he and my mom and two of their friends were driving home from Hamilton and they watched a girl uh drive off the ditch on the highway and there was nobody else there and so they stopped and one other car stopped Mm. um to to help her because she was ditched and like it was a fucked up story i'm not going to tell that whole thing my dad tells it better um but uh but yeah i i feel like now that we're talking about it there are so so many many sparks of of examples where anyway Listeners, if you have any stories. Yeah, send them in. Um, A couple of others I want to mention, though, not personal. Um, Diffusion of responsibility is uh, basically like if you think of World War Two, diffusion of responsibility is the argument that a lot of alleged war crimes uh, or war criminals used as their legal defense uh, by many Nazis who were being tried at Nuremberg, like because of the diffusion of responsibility, they didn't feel personal responsibility to help or at least not harm victims and instead felt like they're just following orders Mm -hmm. they didn't feel responsible or guilty for their actions and instead they would just blame all of the atrocities that they personally committed um blamed the people who gave them those orders yeah um another example and we have absolutely talked about this before the milgram experiment which um (laughs) is the one where uh it's a classic experiment um of diffusion of responsibility really similar to the mentality of the Nuremberg Nuremberg trial defenses. Uh, many listeners probably remember this experiment. It's uh, where like teachers were ordered by experimenters to give other subjects who were their learners an electric shock if they answered something incorrectly. I covered this in our cult study study episode. Yes. yes. Yeah. Um, anyway, so the bystander effect, it goes way beyond how people react to emergencies and there's another interesting phenomenon called the volunteers dilemma that i want to bring up here it occurs in nearly every group situation that requires one person to step forward and accomplish something that's necessary in these cases there's often a delay while all the members of the group decide who's going to be the volunteer to Mm -hmm. act and i'm sure everyone listening is like thinking of examples right now have you ever been in In a group group. assignment exactly or in like a meeting at work yes when it's like okay so who's gonna do this yeah who's gonna be the one to clean the bathroom who's gonna be the one to fix the toilet who's gonna be the person to do to go first and and do the presentation in the class um or any other responsibility that like a group of people have to have to go through but will all likely try to avoid if they can Mm -hmm. um the the thing is there's no added benefit for the volunteer carrying out the task so there's no incentive to be the person to take the action since everyone else benefits just as much of the person who actually does the work Mm -hmm. Um, and when it comes to things like repetitive tasks like chores um, those get solved really quickly right because everyone in the group or the household or whatever you set up a schedule or you know you set up some balance for sharing the responsibilities because then um, you know no one's 
overworked or anything Mm -hmm. like that. You find balance. But if it's an unexpected task, much like the bystander effect, the time needed to decide who will volunteer rises depending on how many other people are in the group. Um, And obviously there's other factors that can increase the chances of someone stepping up to take responsibility. Like if somebody in the group has specialized training on how to respond. Um, So for example, Uh, if someone's choking in a restaurant and one of the patrons is a doctor or a nurse, you know, they're, they're very likely to respond because they have Mm -hmm. the, uh, expertise needed. Um, but also, as I mentioned earlier, that could be the reason why another person that's a, a factor for the diffusion of responsibility that, I don't have expertise, so I'm not the person who should step in here. Yeah. Yeah. My um, my sister's a nurse, so whenever there's any kind of situation, like at home, I'm like, Carol? Like, <laughs> yeah. Not, I don't even attempt. Like, yeah. Carolina? <laughs> no, no, totally. And, like, I, I think that's natural, yeah, that you would look to her or that you know she would offer the assistance because she has that expertise um so but but back to the volunteers dilemma it really only applies when all volunteers are equally capable of doing the thing that needs to be done um and incidentally this sort of highlights the problems that a lot of volunteer run organizations encounter or like heavily volunteer reliant organizations Mm. will encounter that it's a struggle to get enough people interested in doing worthwhile activities or following through but that's a totally separate rant that I probably shouldn't embark on because I as two women who have worked quite closely with nonprofits yeah and have volunteered for nonprofits yeah this is fascinating yes yeah, yeah it like I'm, I read that and was like, oh, my God, how many how many organizations do I know where I can pinpoint this? And Taylor works for a nonprofit and he's their volunteer coordinator. I was like, exactly, Taylor, oh, my God. That's exactly where my mind went. Yeah. Taylor. Yeah. That it's like, this is why you have so much trouble. You just need to figure out the volunteer dilemma. And yeah. Anyway. Um, anyway, so. The bystander effect uh, is still one of the most well-recognized concepts in modern psychology, even though it sort of was inspired uh, to study as a result of Kitty Genovese. And you, if you learn more about that case, people actually did Debunked. intervene yeah. as, they, as, um, as much as they could. Um, so even though the thing that kind of sparked it didn't turn out to be quite as uh, horrible <laughs> a representation of human nature as as it was made out to be. It's still a really well recognized concept. The same as a uh, little Albert. Yeah. When, like the baby, like the studies on that baby himself are like we don't know how true any of that data is. Yeah. But like it did spark research into stuff that actually is scientifically sound. So Absolutely. Same thing. Yeah. Kitty is. Yeah, totally. Um, and it all stems, I mean, at least the bystander effect all stems from the the perceived diffusion of responsibility that onlookers are less likely to intervene if there are other witnesses who are perceived as likely to do so. And pluralistic influence, again, individuals in a group monitor the behavior of the other people around them to determine how to act. Um, yeah. Uh, but to, to leave you with something that's sort of reassuring, uh, the influence and presence of others can have a positive impact as well in the event that one bystander does step in and take responsibility in situations and, and takes a specific mm-hmm. action. Mm-hmm. Other bystanders are then more likely to follow course. Good. So yeah. you need to be that one that stands out and you'll yeah, inspire change. Yeah, if you're the person who stands up, you will inspire change. Exactly. There's a, another experiment that I want to talk about in a future study study called the Good Samaritan Experiment, um, ah, also yes. conducted by John Darley, who, yes. who researched the bystander effect. So, um, yeah, I think keep your ears 
listening tuned for peeled? that peeled i don't know i'll do that in the future <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah so that that's all i've got that's what i've got for you today that was great that was really it was so fascinating yeah yeah i had a really effect. good time researching this and had a lot of like epiphanies yeah yeah oh, nice yeah yeah we um Thank you guys for listening. Again, if you have any questions or if you guys want to write in with your bystander effect experiences or whatever, that'd be really cool. Um, We're trying to figure out ways to just like keep you engaged, especially because we're posting every two weeks. Mm -hmm. So uh, there's that. Megan, thank you for your study study. Hey, no problem. And tune in in two weeks to see what we have coming up next. If you guys want to stay engaged, we're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, everywhere. Who knew we didn't? We're also on Patreon. If you guys feel like checking a quarter our way um i don't know how to set it up so that you can give just once instead of giving to us monthly but if you guys have any ideas let us know Uh, (laughs) and that's everything for us today bye bye